Lizzie. I am the eternal optimist. And I am watching the country disintegrate before my eyes. In that vein, I will try to offer you information and hope on this week's Corey Truax Show. I'd be coming to this microphone all kinds of revitalized as I have returned from a wonderful vacation to Sedona, Arizona, and I would love to spend some time telling you about that and giving you some of those thoughts I have as I walk up very high places and spend some time with no media, nothing in my ears, just allowing myself to to meditate, pray, think as I as I go through the wilderness and think deep spiritual thoughts about what's happening around me. Oh, I'd love to start there today, but we just can't. There is too much going on in the world around us that we do need to talk about the news, the events, and the people, that which the small and medium minds talk about, and then the ideas that lead us there. And we're going to do that on all of the following. The Rayshard or Rashard Brooks case in Atlanta, his shooting and the aftermath in Atlanta, I got some information for you. I finally did collect on police shootings. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Police training in the United States as compared to the rest of the world. Tim Kaine, the senator from Virginia, thinks that America started slavery. And there's some very important background ideas to him saying such a thing we need to talk about. I want to talk about our racial obsession right now, the obsession with all things around race. And then I want to talk about the morality of racial issues. Who's responsible for what when it comes to the idea of white white guilt and who's responsible for what issue in that, that racial world? So you can maybe already tell. It's heavy on the race stuff, but I'm not afraid to talk about those things by any stretch because I come from a biblical perspective where I know I'm going to make everybody uncomfortable today and I'm going to make those exact same people who are comfortable with one section, they're going to be very happy with another section because that's where the biblical worldview stands. It stands above leftist wokeism. It stands above conservatism and liberalism. It stands above everything, because it's not from here. It's from a different part of the world. And I should probably lower my heart rate before I get too fired up too quickly. I've got a lot I want to say on the show today. And then we'll finish up with the Supreme Court decisions over last week. Two horrific decisions. One that will ultimately diminish religious liberty in the country, and then the DACA case as well. We'll get to those and maybe John Bolton's new book at the end. But we must start first with Rayshard Brooks. We'll do that right after this. My name is Corey Truax. Thank you for listening to the Corey Truax Show on 91.9 and 92.9 and his radio talk. You can also find the show on the podcast where a lot of you do. And I am so grateful you listen to the podcast. It means the world to me. Thank you for listening there. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday morning in Greenville, South Carolina. And you are invited. You can also find the sermons from this month where I have been continuing my Gospel of Mark series. You can find that on the podcast feed as well. Here's what I'm seeing. I see the racial tension. I see our police issue. I see what's happening, as we talked about last week, in a more jovial manner with what's happening in Chaz, or now they're calling it CHOP, the Capitol Hill occupying protest up in Seattle. I see that we are, we've so politicized a pandemic that mask wearing is now supposed to be a political statement. 
and I see the disintegration. Now, hear that word how I say it. Disintegrate. We say that word, the situation disintegrated. Listen denotatively to what that word is. Disintegration. To integrate, to come together, to be interwoven as a society would be, as we once talked about ourselves as a melting pot. It was even given a contrast as not being a vegetable stew. So a vegetable soup or a stew, all the vegetables stay vegetables, but in a melting pot, everything all comes together. And so I am now seeing that we are not integrating, we are disintegrating, coming apart at the seams. And it is a delayed reaction to the reality that, something I've talked about a lot on the show, that Christianity, or at least the version that was being practiced here, that it lost the culture war. Christianity was the, it gave the principles and practice and the values for a lot of life, from the home to business to the community. And then Christianity was crushed by secularism. And you know what you're getting now? You're getting the consequence of secularism. You are getting the disintegration of a culture. The, I, I'm not even going to say arguably. Inarguably, the most successful civilization in the history of humanity that here we are, less than 300 years in our history, and look what we've done. And we are pulling it apart at the seams. And, on, and only one of those examples is now what we're seeing this week, or the week that just passed, regarding the shooting of Rayshard Brooks, a man in Atlanta. And I'm going to give you the facts of the case. Before that, I, I, I want to throw this out here. Again, I think I'm, I'm about to make some of you uncomfortable because I have had, apparently, some of you sharing my show with people on the left. And the folks on the left apparently love how I talk about police, and the folks on the left tend to like how I talk, how I talk about race. All right, well, if you're listening, you're about to get uncomfortable, okay? Because here's the thing I don't do. I don't adhere because I follow Jesus. I don't adhere to any political persuasion. I don't adhere to any point of view that is from this earth. Therefore, I get to come out from outside of every every situation and not judge it by its category and not judge it by the team I'm on. I get to and you get to. Whoever I'm talking to right now, you have the chance to be something so unique in this culture. And I'm challenging you to rise above the culture you're in and be a unique thinker. Don't think about the world in categories and teams. Oh no, don't do that. Be the deeper thinker. Do the harder work of looking at individual situations one by one. And let's do that now. Facts of the case is that a gentleman named Rayshard Brooks was in a parking lot. He's obstructing traffic at a Wendy's in Atlanta. Or on, or one of the Wendy's around Atlanta. One of my annoyances around Atlanta is people that live like 40 miles from Atlanta say they're from Atlanta, but whatever. And so the Wendy's people call the cops. The cops come. This is a man that some headlines are saying was uh, sleeping peacefully. The, the DA, the district attorney, in Atlanta says he was sleeping peacefully in his car. No, he wasn't. That's called passed out. When you take his blood alcohol level as they did, that guy had to had he had a lot. He had a whole bunch of alcohol in his system. That's not called peacefully sleeping. That's called passed out. 
in a way that was obstructing traffic, and so the cops come. They have a nice conversation for over half an hour questioning him, and it's not, uh, it's not a problem at all. It seems like it's going to be going okay up until the point where they decide they're going to arrest, arrest Rayshard Brooks for drunk driving, which he was obviously doing. You know how I know? Because of his blood alcohol level that he's passed out in the car. Wonder how he got there. He didn't climb in a car and fall asleep in it. He drove there, and he drove there drunk, which is a very serious, dangerous thing to do. I hear some people saying, even, I think it was the mayor of Atlanta saying, she was rooting for him, and just wish they would order him an Uber to go home. Is that what we do now? Is that the law now, mayor? We send people who are drunk driving, we order them Ubers and send them home. That's the new policy. Again, I don't have to live in your world. I can live in the world of what's right and what's wrong. And here's, what, here's what's wrong. Rayshard Brooks chose to get in a car drunk and drove to a Wendy's. He needed to be arrested. That is what he deserved. Another piece of very important information to lay out the facts of the case is these officers pulled his record, his arrest record and his prison record. You know, this is getting to me very badly, that Rayshard Brooks is now being made into a saint they're comparing him to people like Breonna Taylor and, and Tamir Rice and Philando Castile and even George Floyd. Rayshard Brooks is a child beater and a wife beater. Or at, least a, or at least a domestic abuser. He was in prison for beating his family. Now you're going to turn him to a saint he got, because he got shot by cops. And so the facts of the case are these. A drunk driver was being arrested by cops... He starts fighting them off when they try to arrest him because he's under parole. He knows he's going back to jail now or prison for likely a very long time. And a person they know, these cops, they know he is given to violence. He beats women and children. He starts fighting them off. He's winning, essentially, knocks them to the ground, grabs one of their tasers, fires the taser. It doesn't actually hit the guy. And then tries to shoot it again and he gets shot. And Rayshard Brooks is no longer with us. And that outcome is totally predictable. Now I'm going to go out of order of my notes here because I am fired up about this and I want you to understand why I'm fired up about it. He is not George Floyd. He is not Tamir Rice. He's not Breonna Taylor. He's not Philando Castile. And we can't have... We can't have this discussion in a way that's going to help anybody, that's going to change anything, if we just have categories. Cops are bad, every, every black person that they interact with is good. That's not how life works. Everyone grow up. And we have a culture that doesn't have the intellectual flexibility to make that distinction. He's, we got now this guy, Rashard Brooks, being added to a list of actual police brutality and police incompetence. George Floyd barely resisted arrest and then is pinned down for over eight minutes while begging for his life while a man arrogantly almost smirks as he crushes the life out of George Floyd. Tamir Rice was a child. He was a kid with a toy gun and he gets shot by the coward cop. Breonna Taylor was doing nothing in her own home and she gets shot by a cop. Philando Castillo was doing nothing wrong. He gets shot in his own car. And you want to add Rayshard Brooks to that list? Don't you dare. Don't dare do that. 
to the long list of actual men and women who have been the victim of police brutality and police killing. Don't do that. It's not fair. It's not right. And don't put this cop in the category of the cops who did those things. It's not right. It's not fair. What do you want him to do? You have someone shooting a taser at you that will leave you indisposed. You can't defend yourself. I, I know I've been making an assumption. Hey, this guy that beats women and children, that guy, I'm going to assume if he can get me indisposed, he's also going to get my weapon and kill me. That's the assumption I'm going to make of that guy. We, we can't do this to cops, guys. We can't send them out on the street saying to them, if you shoot anybody at all for any reason, we're going to charge you with murder. And the corrupt district attorney in Atlanta has done that. And that's where we sit. I'm not even going to play the audio anymore. I was going to play the audio of Chris Cuomo on CNN criticizing this cop and how he handled it. I was going to play the audio of Trevor, Trevor Noah Trevor Noah, on com- Trevor Noah on Comedy Central saying, well, he was drunk. The non-drunk people should have been the ones to de-escalate. Y- you mean like they did for over 30 minutes talking to Rashard Brooks like a man, treating him with dignity up until the point Rashard Brooks started fighting them off and grabbed their taser? I was going to play the audio of Bakari Sellers. You know what? I will play that one. I'll give you one of those. I pulled several. We'll give you the Bakari Sellers audio of how this is being talked about on one side of the political spectrum and talked about in the media. Bakari Sellers is from South Carolina, generally a decent human being, but he is way off on this one. Here is Bakari Sellers. This is as clear as you can you can get. I mean, he was murdered, period. Point blank, period. I think the autopsy caught it homicide. And I watch people bend over backwards and they're going to bend over backwards after this segment on on social media, et cetera, and say, well, you know, he shouldn't have uh, struggled with the police. He shouldn't have been drinking while driving. He shouldn't have run. Uh, He even fired his the the taser um, back at the police. Um, Well, you know, Wolf, none of those are death penalty crimes. And so here we are again. Murder has a definition, sir. This wasn't murder. It is homicide. It is a man killing a man. And this is a justifiable Self-defense, as for all the reasons that I just laid out. No, none of those things require a death sentence. And that's not what happened. Does, does Rayshard Brooks deserve any responsibility now? Is he responsible for any of his actions? Or only the cops are? I, I've got credibility on this. Because even on this next this on this episode, I'm going to talk about how woefully underqualified our cops are. I'm going to do that. But I'm, I'm going to live in this world, and you're invited to live in it with me. Have a complex worldview. Stop putting people on teams and in categories. Oh, it's hard work. It's hard intellectual work. And some people might look at you a little sideways sometime. But being right is worth it. Having the complex worldview is worth having. Now, really quickly, we'll take a break. Nothing I just said discredits these facts that I've been talking about for weeks now. Racial bias mucks up our entire culture. We have a racially biased system throughout the culture. What I'm telling you right now does not make that false. That's still true. 
Another thing is true. We still have brutal and incompetent police. This case does not discredit that, but this case is this case. And the way I'm seeing it handled is maddening for lots of reasons. Partly it is the injustice, but here, the number one injustice is this. He doesn't deserve to be included in, in the injustices. I felt this way about my, I don't feel this way. I'm right about this one too. Michael Brown in, in Ferguson, Missouri. Before Michael Brown was shot by cops, moments before he, was, he, com- he committed robbery, and while committing robbery, committed assault. You can find the video of him grabbing, not an old guy, but a little, obviously a smaller, diminutive immigrant by the throat and shoving him away. That's Michael Brown. That's your hero, Michael Brown, who then be- really did some damage to a cop physically. And, oh, who would imagine? Got shot for it. And when you add Michael Brown and Rayshard Brooks to a very long list, you have a very real long list of innocent people killed by cops, you discredit them. You dishonor them. And I'm going to honor them. I'm going to be the one that holds up their example because they were innocent and did not perpetuate their own death. Do you know who's responsible for Rashard's death? He is. That entire event is his. He drove drunk. He resisted. He fought. He grabbed a taser. He fired it. And the logical conclusion of all of that is where we are right now. When we come back. I do want to share share with you some information I was able to collect about our police force. And so we'll make everyone, if you're uncomfortable with what I'm saying right now, you're about to be comfortable. And for those of you shouting amens at the radio or into your listening device, whatever it is, we're about to switch places, everybody. So come on back for that on the Corey Truax Show. took a big drink of water so I should be fine I'm going to stop yelling now but I have been very fired up about this I finally got to a microphone and got to express my feelings and emotions and I will rein those back in thank you for listening to the Corey Act show wherever you find it on radio or podcast I'm grateful and you can find me on Facebook Twitter or Instagram look for me Corey Act. you will find me there one fun thing you can do is go look at some very compelling images of Sedona Arizona where I just came back from vacation it was awesome let's get back to the work There's lots of memes floating around the interwebs about how other countries train their police officers and how those police officers, those officers of the law, have better outcomes. I have done some work on this now because some of those memes are incorrect. A lot of them are correct. A lot of what you're seeing is correct. On average, the American police officer is underqualified compared to the people who get to be police officers in the rest of the world. One of our problems, and I don't really think it's a problem, but it's, it's a problem statistically, is how much things vary from state to state. In my state, in South Carolina, it's actually fairly easy to be a cop. It doesn't require a lot of you in terms of, like, for example, here, you have to have a high school diploma, that I think I think it has something to do with your criminal record, the best I can understand. You can't have certain things on your criminal record for a certain amount of time, and then the academy is a, a couple months to be to go through that, and then you can be a cop. It's not hard here. Uh, there's there were some states that required a lot. Uh, Florida was one. 
I recall uh, some of the states in the Northeast required a lot more. And so when you talk about the American police officer, there really is no such thing because the states vary so widely. But you can do averages. And here's what I was able to find. Just consider some of these, uh, some of these facts. Norway. In Norway, from the moment you decide, I would like to be a police officer, before they actually have you out there doing the job, working with the public, on the street, not like, there's some clerical things you can do internally, but you don't go out and work with the public for two years, two years of training. In Finland, it was three years. In Germany, it was two years. In the United States, our average, the best I could find, it's about 40 weeks. Because some are less, some's more. It's about 40 weeks of training, as opposed to the years in some of those other places. And then, you know, because their educational systems, and especially in Europe, are so different, those are actually college-level degrees. Because take Germany, Norway, and Finland, for example, in 10th, or what we would call 10th or 11th grade, if you're choosing to go into a particular trade, you choose it fairly early on and start moving that direction. And so when I say Norway is over two years of study or two years of training, that might actually even happen when you're 17, 18, 19, and then you move on into the force because of how their educational systems work. And we would call that pre-professional or some kind of certification. Whereas when we say high school diploma, we know that's not what that means here. And not all high school diplomas in South in, in the United States, I was about to say South Carolina, but not all high school diplomas are created equal here, right? There, there are some high school diplomas that mean a whole bunch. We know the, the rigor of certain high schools and we know the lack of rigor of certain high schools. And so when you look at the educational requirement, training hours requirement, I hate to say it this way, but I'm, I'm almost not surprised at the situation we, into which we've placed ourselves. There are other factors that need to be considered. We, we do have a... This is not... Uh, you, you guys know how, how much I despise conspiracy theories. I'm not giving you a conspiracy theory. I am giving you facts that matter when we examine these things. We do have an entanglement between state governments and private prisons. Private prisons want to be, uh, they need occupants. The same way hotels need occupants to be profitable, private prisons need occupants. And so private prison people tend to have lobbyists who want to make more stuff more illegal to get more occupants. And those, those lobbyists can be influential, and there's dollars that can flow to campaigns and interest groups that are going to help get the right people into voting for things that will make more stuff illegal to make sure prisons are full. Right? That's, that's all going to happen. And we, we have that. And so as that's another consequence is, so we have underqualified, undertrained people enforcing laws that are, uh, that, 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 that are motivated in a way to fill up prisons. And other countries don't have that too. So there's lots of other factors that would need to be considered. Uh, but I, I did want to tell you what I was able to verify. We have a police brutality problem that's real, but more than a police brutality problem, we have a police incompetence problem, and we've done it to ourselves. Because I, I looked at salaries as well, 
There's a couple exe- uh, exceptions here because of unions. There are unions in places like Illinois, Massachusetts, I saw, where cops make pretty good money. And then there are places like here where it's, it's okay, it's fine, it's okay money, you can survive. And even, I shouldn't say it that way, that sounds uh, demeaning. Like you can, you, you can have an honorable, good living on, a, on an officer's salary in South Carolina in places in the South. But you are, going to, you are going to get what you pay for in terms of the investment we make in training and in who we hire. And so I wanted to t- tell you all that. I was able to confirm it. Okay, uh, all of these issues are related. So there was the, the Brooks case. There is the police training issue. I want to take you to Tim Kaine now. He is the senator from Virginia. He's also the most unremarkable vice presidential candidate we've ever had. He ran with Hillary Clinton. He was talking about slavery and some other issues on the floor of the Senate. I want to play for you each word that he said and respond to each because here we are in a very racially tense, racially sensitive time. And I, he has some things of value to say and some idiotic things to say. We will work through all of them. So let's start here with the senator from Virginia, Tim Kaine. We need to ban racial and religious profiling. We need to hold police officers and police departments accountable for violent, reckless behavior. We need to promote better training and professional accreditation of police departments. Madam President, why do we demand that universities maintain accreditation to receive federal funds, but make no such demand of law enforcement agents? That's actually a really good point. So far, so good. If some local police department is, uh, is, is getting federal money, they should be under the same scrutiny that universities are when we are eligible for federal. When I say we, I worked at a university my, as my day job. We should have at least the same scrutiny and reporting. Uh, you can ban all the, those discrimination things that he mentioned. So far, I do mean this, so good. Agencies. And we need to do much more within the criminal justice system, but also within all of our systems to dismantle the structures of racism that our federal, state, and local governments carefully erected and maintained over centuries. We uh, and even now, so far, so good. I've had one of my favorite broadcasters recently really start arguing against the idea that structures can be racist. But they can, because structures are, are made of either traditions or laws. And we made laws like, like what, what, what redlining did in part, and then the idea of so add redlining to property taxes. When we decided we were going to fund education through property taxes, consider what that does the places with lower property values are going to get less education funding. And then there was actual structure set up so that minority neighborhoods had lower property values and therefore had less education funding. And so I could give you more examples of that. Nevertheless, the point here being, I'm still with you, Timmy or Senator Kane. Thus far, you are correct. You know a little bit about this in Virginia. The first African-Americans in into the English colonies came to Point Comfort, Virginia in 1619. They were slaves. They'd been captured against their will. But they landed in colonies that didn't have slavery. There were no laws about slavery in the colonies at that time. The United States didn't inherit slavery from anybody. We created it. That is a level of ignorance of history that I thought we only accused millennials of. I thought we only accused Gen Z of being that idiotic and not understanding history. One, if you're a colony, 
then you're still under British rule and British law. You know who had lots of slavery? The British. So, of course, that was legal in the colonies. And then he says the United States invented it. We created slavery. Oh, man. Have you read Exodus? The Jews were slaves to the Egyptians. That was a little bit before the United States came into existence. You don't have to do much more history outside of even the continent of Africa. Enslavement amongst each other. You want to get down into Mesoamerica? The, the, some of the stuff the Aztecs did was utterly savage and brutal, including the enslavement of one another. One of the things historically about enslavement is the one part that's uniquely American is how racially based it was. But the sentence, we didn't inherit slavery, we created it, it's factually incorrect. It's morally wrong to tell that lie. We were the colonies of the British, and everywhere that existed at the time had some kind of institution of slavery. It did exist before 1776, Timmy. It got created by the Virginia General Assembly and the legislatures of other states. It got created by the court systems in colonial America and sense that enforced fugitive slave laws. It was, we created it. And we created it and maintained it over centuries. This is just not true. Now, laws got created in state legislatures to manage slavery. It is not the case that it was a uniquely American institution. And that is the idea behind the news I wanted to get to. So there's the person, Tim Kaine. There's the news, him saying that slavery was created by Americans. And then there's the idea behind it. There is, for whatever reason, right now, a desire to make America uniquely evil. We are a unique evil. And I think the reason for it is so that we can tear it up. We can break it down, remake it in the structure that we want because America to its core, to its foundation is rotten. It's a unique evil. Well, you don't get to make up your own facts even if that's your, your want, your desired outcome. The, the, the truth is, America is actually, especially on the topic of slavery, you, is unique in the other direction. Slavery, again, is a part of human history for thousands of years. We literally have it in the Bible 2,000 years before uh, America comes along, a little bit less than 2,000 years, with God's people being enslaved in Egypt. You can trace it around the world. You know, even in China, we don't call it slavery anymore, but I wonder what you would call what's happening over there in some of the textiles and some of the manufacturing. We, we only had, on the, in the Middle Eastern part of the world, Saudi Arabia didn't actually ban it until the 70s, banned slavery. And slavery looked a little different, different parts of the world. It's a, not a unique evil to America. It is an evil. It, def, it certainly is. Forced labor is an evil, but it's super normal in human history. What's actually unique is over in the Western world, we'll take Britain with Will, William Wilberforce, that there was a a legislative solution to ending it, and in America, a war fought in part to end it. We, in the Western world, we actually beat the rest of civilization to that idea, driven by biblical thinking. At the time, there were definitely those who were, I can't, I don't know what word I'm allowed to use on the air. They were misusing the, uh, misusing the Bible 
to try to justify slavery, but there were just as many or more Christians properly using the scripture to show you can't do that. That's slavery is man owning. It's human owning. It's kidnapping, which is an obvious sin. Kidnapping actually is straight up uh, itemized as a, a sin in the law. And that's what slavery does. You kidnap someone, human ownership of someone else's labor. These are all sins condemned in scripture and Christians were using scripture to make those arguments. And so while Tim Kaine wants to set up a world where America is uniquely evil for this, well, one, that's really dumb, sir. You should know more history than you do. That was an idiotic thing to say. Number two, we're actually unique in world history that us in Britain went through the process to get rid of it, and we fought over it, in particular in the United States of America. And so where there is this goal to make America look particularly evil in history, I'm going to fight against that too. You know why? Because it's wrong. That is the theme of today's show. I don't care who it makes uncomfortable anymore. We're going to say the things that are true. And when you come back, we're going to keep talking about the things that are true. And particularly on issues of race, the morality of of racial bias, the immorality of racial bias, and what counts as racial bias and what doesn't. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Surprise, surprise. I do suspect we're going to go back into bonus time this week with some additional content. So for those of you listening live on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, I guess by now, I don't know, it'll be like 8.35, 840 something. I don't know, on Saturday morning. But if you want to go find the show, wherever you find podcasts, look for the Corey Truax Show. You will find it. You can also find it at CoreyTruax.com. Here's where we are in the national moment. There is race and racial bias, racial strife, that is making up a large chunk of the national conversation. I'm largely happy about that because we've not totally dealt with it. There are some biblical ramifications to dealing with our race, our racial, or at least racist past, and then the racial issues of today. But it is, a, it is a moment of racial obsession. It's so, so much so that it's moved COVID to a back seat. And so here we are as believers with the ability to speak into it and sound differently than everyone else. I've talked about before that racism actually isn't the biblical category of sin. That the actual biblical category is called partiality. The sin of partiality is favoring any given person based on what group they're in. So favoring a race, or get this, favoring a job like cop, or disfavoring a job like cop, or disfavoring a race. Partiality is the sin. One of the manifestations of partiality is racism. And that's how we, the Christian, come to identifying racism as sin. It's two things. One, it's the sin of partiality, the preference of a person based on their group membership. And maybe more importantly, the recognition that every person is made in the image of God and therefore deserving of honor. And racism therefore looks at someone outside of your own racial group or ethnicity and says, nope, I think God got this one wrong. This, This one doesn't deserve my honor or respect. 
so that's the Christian view. One of the things that's worth exploring is wondering why the secular world feels so strongly about this. Because this has been very clear now. For the secularist in America and Western Europe, it is the worst sin. There's no worse sin than racism. You know how it was a, a thing on the secular left for a long time to say of Christians, why are you so obsessed with homosexuality? There's other sins. It's gotten something, we've gotten something close to that on racism or racial bias from the, from the secular left. Like, this is the one sin, right? Like, does anything else matter? This is the, the one thing. But the issue with the secular worldview is you have no reason to oppose racism. No logical reason. You have no rationality for why it's wrong. I know why I think it's wrong, because every human is made in the image of God and the sin of partiality is itemized in the book of James. Why do you think it's wrong? You, can you build anything on that? What, is, what would Darwin give, for, give you on that? What would your, secular, your actual secular philosophers give you on why it's not okay? I have a couple of folks that listen from that perspective. If you have a thought on that, CoreyTruactShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruactShow at gmail.com. But in this moment of racial obsession, it actually is only biblical Christianity that has any reason to coherently care about this and address it. Now, in that, in that vein, that's probably how we're going to finish the show the rest of the way. Well, at least the normal show, and then we'll have the bonus. I want to talk about the morality and the immorality of some racial issues. In part, because I, I have been wrestling through this and listening to a lot of podcasts from a lot of different perspectives and hearing terms like white privilege and white guilt... And so I, I want to talk through it. And I think, again, I have some credibility because I've talked, talked about on the show before that white privilege, for example, is obvious. I gave the example of right privilege, that the world was built for right-handed people. And because it was built by, by right-handed people equally, the world was built primarily by white people, at least the Western world. And therefore, it was built to make white life easier. There's some natural advantages there. And then there's the idea of white guilt, though. And white guilt and white privilege are distinct. There seems to be a movement, as I've, I talked about a few episodes ago, that secular leftist wokeism has become a religion. One of its original sins is privilege. You have to repent of your privilege. Do something to repent of it. Even Dan Cathy from Chick-fil-A talked about shining the shoes of a of a minority person as a way to make up for it, almost. I mean, I don't think that's what he was saying. I, I like Dan Cathy. He's fine or whatever. Actually, I'm not a huge fan of Dan Cathy for lots of reasons. I'll get into maybe some other show, but there's an idea of repenting of your guilt. And while I embrace the idea of white privilege, it's real. That is what I live. I know it's there. There is a difference between white privilege and white guilt about whether or not I should feel guilty for my privilege. That's a different thing altogether. And because, again, theme of the show this week, I'm just going to say the thing that is, is, is most biblically coherent and adheres to Scripture the best that I know, because that's real morality. Everything else is human philosophy that doesn't matter much. It doesn't amount to anything in the end anyway.
So I wrote down a couple thoughts. I think it's one, two, it's a few, like I think two major thoughts. Number one, you're not responsible for your ancestors. You are not guilty for anything your ancestors did or believe. This is biblical. It's actually one of the chief ways in which the biblical worldview was distinct from other ancient worldviews, including Hammurabi's Code. If you went to college and took a Western Civilization course, the first one, the, usually they cut, a, they cut the Western Civ courses around the French Revolution. If you took the Western Civ course that leads up to the French Revolution, you would have learned about Hammurabi's Code, this ancient law code, one of the building blocks of the legal system for all of humanity. Well, Hammurabi's Code, which is more, it's even more ancient than what the Bible gives us, it does say, you can judge the children for the father's sin. You can visit punishment. You can give punishment to the child for what the father or the mother did. The biblical law comes around from the Jews in Genesis, and it's, actually, it's mostly in Leviticus, and says you cannot do that. A, a son is not guilty of his father's sin, and he doesn't have to pay any price for it because he didn't do it. And so, I'm not going to feel white guilt because I didn't do anything. Oh, I know my ancestors did. I don't know how much, but I do know, I'm, I'm sure that was the case. But I didn't do anything, and I'm not going to feel guilty for stuff I didn't do. Because biblically, I'm not responsible for other people's sins. I'm responsible for mine. Now, that, that does not mean this. Uh, it does not mean that I don't acknowledge how I've benefited. And if you are Caucasian, you are a white, middle to upper middle class American right now, for that matter, even lower income Americans that are white, you should acknowledge you've benefited. You should. Acknowledge it to yourself. Acknowledge it out loud if you want. You've benefited from a culture that was made for you. But that is different than saying it's your fault. There is no apology owed. Empathy is good. For the Christian, empathy is required. Empathy for the person who is disadvantaged and didn't have the advantages you and I had as white Americans. Oh, empathy and sympathy and even wanting to fix systems going forward. But we didn't make those systems. We benefited from them. We didn't make them. We didn't perpetuate them. And so all of the apologies happening, I am uncomfortable with because... Apologies are supposed to be, uh, are supposed to uh, relate to this scenario. I hurt someone. I, the individual, am going to go to the person that I hurt and apologize to that person. I can't apologize for something I didn't do. I can acknowledge I benefited from someone else's misdeed, but I'm not guilty for that. That's not a, so I can't buy into white guilt, while white privilege is very real. So you are not guilty of your advantages if you are a white listener of mine, but you should acknowledge them. And you should acknowledge, and then you should also work for a world that diminishes those privileges going forward, but you can't do anything about the past. At least you can't. You can't apologize for something you didn't do. And I guess functionally you can't do anything about the past. You can only do things about the future. You know, I thought about this. I'm going off notes. My bad. But I have to. 
You know the number one advantage, the number one privilege in the in the Western world now? Well, when you look at all the social statistics, GPAs, test scores, incomes, mental health outcomes, uh, that's, that's judged by prescription drugs and things like that, addiction rates. I mean, we're, you get into a lot of social science here through lots of universities. The biggest privilege you have is if you had a two-parent household. Across ethnicities, the, the, more you, the more time you had, not more time, the more likely you are to have had two parents in your house. That's the biggest privilege you can have. And again, it, it does stretch across ethnicities. That's my biggest privilege. I, I've got white privilege, but you know what I have? I have family privilege. And I, I didn't do anything to break up other families. So I'm not guilty for that. I didn't do anything. But I also acknowledge that privilege. I acknowledge that I got to grow up in a world with two loving parents who were incredible, and I have an advantage over people who didn't have that. So we recognize our advantages. We should acknowledge those, say them out loud, and then try to level the playing field going forward. But we are not responsible for the sins of our ancestors. The number two overall thought. Everyone is responsible for him or herself. That's reality. You, you don't let group thinking drive you. Don't let your sensitivity overwhelm your, your, your fact-based world. Very famous broadcaster now, he's very famous for saying, facts don't care about your feelings. Well, we do need to live in a world of that sort. Feelings matter. Facts should drive feelings. And so everyone does have to be responsible for themselves. As I already mentioned, there are certainly some systems that were racially biased and hurt people. For example, I already mentioned the one through school quality, through redlining and then the property taxes that come along to fund schools. That was a system that made minority neighborhoods, primarily, primarily black kids, get worse education. That's not their fault. That is the fault of the people who did that evil thing. I think about generational wealth. The, the biggest form of generational wealth, passing down wealth from one generation to the other, is home ownership. And we had decades where we made it almost impossible for a black family to get a loan. And so I think about me and my three siblings now, I guess we're all in our 30s now. There's going to be generational wealth because my parents owned a home and then another home and that we all own homes and we're going to be able to pass those down. Home ownership is one of the major ways of transferring wealth from generation to generation. And for centuries, and then after the, the end of slavery, um, de decades, we, we didn't allow black families to build generational wealth. That was a system and a structure and wrong and immoral and reprehensible and repugnant. And so the financial issues that come along with that, that was not any individual's fault. That was, they were victimized by a system. And so, you know, you're not responsible for your lack of generational wealth. That happened to you. To, to a black person, you're not responsible for education system in your own community. You, you didn't do that. But then there are issues that people do have to be responsible for. I'm about to say some very uncomfortable things, and I'm not sorry. Having kids you're not ready for is a, is a you problem. You did that. Getting a woman knocked up and leaving her, that's your problem. You did that. That was your character. That was your morality. 
working 40 hours a week is something under all of our control almost, and we're not in a pandemic. Finishing high school is almost always under someone's control. And I don't care that, I know, I know some of you would scream, how dare you, a white guy, say any of those things? Because I'm right. That's why. And that's what matters. What matters is what's right. There are situations. Black families, black people find themselves in right now in America that they were victimized by. It happened to them. And I want so much to be a part of the, part of the solution. I want so much to be a, be a voice to end the systems and structures that made those things happen. I'm not for a second ever going to say sorry, though, for decisions that get made by people that affect their families and their generations poorly. And so all of these things are through, true. People got to get their lives straight. People got to start, start acting from, from all ethnicities, have to start behaving in a way that is good for human flourishing in their own life and the people around them and their own families. And, not but, and structures and systems have to get fixed too. That's the only, that's, that's the only way forward. I'm not sorry for any of that. I'm not going to feel any guilt over what my ancestors did. I can only be responsible for me and what I'm going to do from this moment forward. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of bonus content for you podcasters to talk about the Supreme Court decisions that came out. One was an LGBT-related case. One was a DACA case. We'll talk about those. And then John Bolton, a former official in the Trump administration, he put out a book that's not got any kind of bombshells in it. It's actually stuff we all, sort of stuff we all know. But it's worth a little bit of discussion. So I'm going to do that in the bonus for you radio folks on his radio talk, 91.9 and 92.9. I'm so grateful you listen on Saturday mornings. Thanks for sticking with the show. Now for, gosh, we're coming up on five years here soon, and I couldn't be more grateful. You can also find sermons, by the way, from Beachwood Church coming up for, from June on the podcast feed, and I hope you will. I'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody. Peace and love. Hello, podcasters. I'm going to try to slow down and be less angry. But maybe you noticed on that show, I, I was stewing in some frustration. And it didn't ruin my Sedona trip, but it ruined my ride home. I flew from Phoenix to Chicago, from Chicago to GSP, and hours later sat down to do this show. Uh, hours. About, about a day later. And it was on, that, on those flights that all that started to stew inside of me and it got to come out there okay uh, supreme court cases let me give you the facts of the case we'll do facts first and then opinion second one case comes before the united states supreme court that asks this question does title nine or seven one of the one of the titles inside one of the employment discrimination acts says you can't discriminate based on sex so you can't hire a man over a woman of equal qualification because you don't like to hire women or you don't like to hire men. That's what the law says. The argument before the court is that should include sexual orientation and not just sexual orientation, but gender identity. So you, we want to add to this early, early 1970s or late 1960s law. I think it was early 70s. We want to add gender identity and sexual orientation to a law that was written about sex discrimination. So that was the argument. 
And six justices, including John Roberts of George W. Bush fame, he's the one who nominated him, and Neil Gorsuch, who Donald Trump put on the court, they agreed, yes, we're going to add to this 1970-something law the idea that it protects LGBT folks from job discrimination. You know, in, a, um, in one of the, the dissent that was written from Judge Kavanaugh, he actually wrote, I want this to be true. I want this to be the law. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. This would be good for it to be the law, but it's not the law. And Congress has to do it. The judges can't. There should be no discrimination against LGBT people on jobs. You should not be able to fire somebody because they're LGBT. But that's not what the law says, and we're judges. We don't make law. We adjudicate, we interpret, but we don't make it. And Justice Kavanaugh is 1,000% correct. Now, granted, I'm basically for, not 1,000%, I shouldn't have said it that way, but I'm basically for abolishing all employment laws. I, I am for letting people be free, and some people will be free, and they'll be bad. They'll be very bad people and do things we don't like, but they have the right to be bad. And then we as a community can ostracize. We as a community can, can try to convince them, but I don't like government force interfering with these things. That's that's my position. It's, it is very libertarian, admittedly. That's where I sit. But here's what George Gorsuch is telling me. In the early 1970s, when the T part of LGBT didn't exist, transgenderism was being treated by mental health facilities, not being given drugs to get the hormones you need to be who you think you truly are. They were actually being treated by therapists and uh, psychological professionals. That They were thinking about transgender people. They were thinking about the LGBT community in the early 1970s. And so we're going to slide them on in there. That's the thing judges do that has ruined the judiciary. You don't get to make the law. You don't get to reinterpret the law with modern-day sensibilities. What should have been said is, if we want to do this, Congress has to do it. They have to do it. Because I don't have the authority to do it. I'm a judge. That's what should have happened, and it didn't. So now, there's consequences to that case. I don't know when. But now we, we're going to come up, come up on some Christian university, some Christian school, some overtly cr- Christian organization, or maybe even like in the Hobby Lobby case, where Hobby Lobby didn't want to pay for certain types of contraception, and the Supreme Court found in their favor, which was good, and called them a, uh, a closely held, that was the term, closely held business. So a family-owned big business. But some case is coming where someone's going to try to wreck Chick-fil-A, wreck Hobby Lobby, wreck some Christian school, wreck a Christian hospital because of a hiring policy. And we're going to have to go back to the Supreme Court, and I don't know what they're going to do because this, this is a setup to, to totally destroy the ability of a Christian to be a Christian in public. By that I mean, if I can't be a Christian in my business, that's the government telling me, no, you, you have to keep your faith in your home and your church. You can't be a Christian other places. 
you can't hold Christian values and biblical values in other places, we will punish you. The law can come for you if you try to live Christianly outside of your church and your home. And that would only grow from there. This is a disastrous decision. And there's some folks on the right trying to console themselves by saying, well, you know, Neil Gorsuch wrote it very narrowly uh, so that there would be a chance to come back later and provide religious protections. Okay, you can have that kind of faith if you want. I, I, I tend to be an optimist, but I don't see that's how this is going. So that was the LGBT case. The other one was the DACA case, where I, don't, I feel like I should say more about the LGBT case. I'm just, I guess let me draw the, the, the line, the linear thinking. If employment law now applies to LGBT folks, that means it is going to be the case that college or university hospital that says on the employment agreement, we practice biblical principles here for our employees. And so we aren't hiring people who are, are in practicing homosexual relationships. We're not doing that. But that place could get sued and get just t- totally destroyed. That's one of the very realistic consequences of this decision. And I don't feel good about our chances going forward. So I needed to put some practicality on that criticism. And then uh, the facts on the DACA case. Barack Obama in 2012 was desperate to win re-election and did an illegal thing. Uh, he, he was, his 2012 election was one of the most divisive, divisive elections I'd ever seen. He, he took the George W. Bush route and Karl Rove route. If you remember in 04, George W. Bush was going to lose to John Kerry until Karl Rove manipulated the, several of the states to put marriage amendments on their ballot. Because Karl Rove knew we don't have to win the middle. We just need to fire up our base. That's how you win elections in America now. And when marriage amendments went on the ballot, a lot of Christian evangelicals showed up to vote for the marriage amendment, and while they were there, they voted for George W. Bush. 2012 came, Barack Obama had a disastrous first four years, all the results were terrible, and he knew what worked for George W. Bush. Fire up the base. We don't have to win the middle. By the way, Mitt Romney did win the middle. He won independence, I think, by seven points. But the strategy was fire up our base. Amongst other things, he, for example came out in favor of gay marriage out of nowhere after his entire life opposing it. He, he also created DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. So children who came here by no fault of their own, by parents who brought them here illegally, that we were going to take away all fear of deportation for them. I am in favor of that. I am in favor of not deporting kids who can't... Now they're in their people in their 20s and 30s, but I'm in favor of changing immigration policy to where we don't deport those people. But the same thing applies here to the executive that applied a minute ago to the legis- to the judicial. You can't do that. The president can't do that. He doesn't have that power. And you know who said so? Barack Obama. He said though at least he said so at least 12 times. I found it on YouTube. At least 12 times he said, "I can't do this. I can't unilaterally change immigration law. It's not legal." And then he did it anyway because it fired at the base. He needed to fire up a certain Hispanic base to beat John Kerry, and it worked. So then, the Trump administration comes in, and Attorney General Jeff Sessions says, we are rescinding DACA. An executive did it by himself. Now an executive can undo it by himself. And then the judges, four liberal judges, and then 
John Roberts, who might as well be a liberal judge, says you didn't do it correctly. You didn't provide enough rationale. If you provided better reasons, then we could let you do it, but we're not going to let you do it. And so for basically no other reason except that it made John Roberts' tummy hurt, they set up a precedent that now judges can decide what policies they like and don't like. Not what's legal and what's not legal. Because the legality is easy here, guys. An executive did something by his own power. The next executive can undo it. It happens all the time. But the courts here made an arbitrary decision. I would call it arbitrary and capricious. And if you're in the legal world, you would know the joke I'm making there. They made an arbitrary and capricious decision to, to stop the, the, the DACA rescinding. Again, DACA kids should be able to stay. I believe that. Congress has to do it. The courts and the executive don't have that authority. My, my last thought on this is this. For, there's a lot of Republicans who make the argument often that you have to vote for Republicans for the courts. You've got to get the right judges because the Supreme Court is the supreme power in the land. And it's worked. It's worked on me in the past. I'm done playing that stupid game. If what you're going to give me is Judge Gorsuch making this decision on LGBT stuff, you're going to give me John Roberts who gave you Obamacare, who got this LGBT case wrong, got DACA wrong. If that's what you're going to give me, you're not worth voting for. And so for Republican voters who vote for the courts, stop. These people haven't earned your your vote. Stop being so terrified of Democrats all the time that you give them their vote anyway. This is is a long... A long issue of mine. I just, I'm okay with losing. I'm okay with losing for a while, knowing there's a longer way around to get what I want. And I don't believe the country is so fragile that it'll, it'll just fall into pieces if Democrats win elections for a little while. All right, I was going to talk about John Bolton's book, but I'll give you the short version. John Bolton told us what we all know. Donald Trump's a bad person who's childish and immoral and self-obsessed. And we all already knew that, so... Thanks, John Bolton, for that. All right, I've yelled too much. I can actually feel like my... I'm getting tense. My neck hurts. So I, I'm going to stop doing this now. So, hey, I'm grateful that you listen. And uh, I know that was an intense show. Your feedback is welcome uh, on social media. Look for me, Corey Truax, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or your feedback at Show at gmail.com. I'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.